Good morning. My name is Richard Colquitt. That probably will become apparent in the terms of this sermon. But let me read now to you God's word from Jeremiah chapter 9. It will serve as the text for my sermon. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. This is the word of God. Well, I come this morning with insider knowledge. That is, insider knowledge concerning your new pastor. Maybe insider knowledge is actually the most fun, most juicy, most sought-after knowledge of all in all contexts. Insider knowledge seems particularly fitting on this Sunday, and while fitting, it is not the most important knowledge that we will consider, not even close. For far more important than hidden and unknown insider knowledge is that which is neither hidden nor unknown nor unknowable. Instead, it's the precious mighty, life-giving knowledge that has been revealed by God, both His general and special revelation. And as to the latter, the very Word of God in Scripture, it is in this special revelation that will be grounded this morning. This morning will be a brief attempt to join and weave personal insider knowledge with far more glorious revealed truth so that a worthy sermon fitting this occasion might go forth. May that goal be realized by the tender and individually targeted work of the Holy Spirit, both in my voiced words and in our individual hearing hearts. Now, 20 minutes is not enough time for a dad or for an old teaching elder or for one who is both, or for one who even has his law license. But it's surely a mercy for you. (laughs) This weaving shall be in service of pastoral encouragement regarding two intensely real aspects of our lives, boasting and belonging. It is, of course, an enormous privilege for me to be with you This morning, a congregation whose love and grace for and toward Christopher and Kristen, Margaret, Henry, Beth, and John have already moved me greatly. Susan and I have watched and learned of your kindnesses and sacrifices from a notable distance as we've executed our assigned and much-cherished roles as babysitting grandparents in Evanston, in Houston, and most recently here 
over the last six months. You pursued and loved Christopher and Kristen. You've loved them, received them. It's a mighty grace that we can never repay, though do please give us a chance. Thank you, dear Trinity. Let me pray again. Almighty Father, may it be so that in these words that are preached, your spirit would actually have gone before in the formation of them, will go forth with them as they are spoken, and will will use them very targetedly into the lives of all the souls that hear my voice. May it be to your glory and blessing, and ultimately may it be to your kingdom's advance. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Do you know where your ancestors lived in the 1640s when in London the Westminster Assembly met and produced its consequential work for us as Presbyterians? That's in the 1640s, almost 400 years ago, so you might not know where your direct ancestors were 400 years ago. But as to your new senior pastor, I'm certain that his 10th and 9th great-grandfather Colquitts were not in London at the assembly. (laughs) Because, well, because they were already here in Virginia, Isle of Wight County to be exact. In 1639, we believe John Colquitt, age 28, and his son John Colquitt, age 3, both born in England, were already here in Virginia, very early arrivers in Virginia, most of whom, most of their famous families, of course, of Virginia, would arrive a decade or two after the Colquitts. The longest living Colquitt grandfather in America ever and looking at me, you probably think that he'll probably still be the longest living Colquitt. <laughs> was the firstborn Virginian Colquitt, not surprisingly, John Colquitt. Born in 1682 in the Isle of Wight, John lived 89 years. He married Ann Hawes at age 27 in Essex County, Virginia. They were married 52 years. And he died in 1769 in Cumberland, Virginia. He missed the Declaration of Independence by seven years. Now, why this excursion into family history? Maybe some of you found it interesting, but quite possibly most have detected or suspected what might seem to be boasting. Yes, was that a subtle celebration about a cherished family history? Sort of a clumsy attempt at boasting with a purpose like, well, say, oh, please do, please do think well of my son, for he's got a long and deep Virginia tie, despite his own Texas upbringing, stops in New Jersey, consequential stops in New Jersey, Southern California, and even briefly here. Yes, boasting can be strategic, even manipulative, and as we shall see also, the very stuff of worship itself. And so boasting is exactly what I want us to consider, for Scripture actually has very, very much to say about boasting, only a small slice of which we can touch this morning. Now, friends, here my primary urging 
that holding tightly to and expressing the rightful boast that Scripture unmistakably discloses to us is and will be absolutely paramount for Christopher. Okay, Chris, I'm still not there. As he proceeds as your senior pastor, and it's equally paramount for every dear soul here at Trinity. Ministry and congregational life rightly motivated and executed. Indeed, all of life must rest upon and be propelled by the substance of the rightful boast that is identified in Scripture. So what is that rightful boast? Let's consider again the words that I read to you from Jeremiah 9. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. We are created to boast rightly. That is, we are to so deeply cherish the Lord by knowing and understanding Him that we are driven to celebrate and boasting flows forth. In this text, the Lord yet confirms and warns against boasting about certain things that in themselves are good and actually may be blessings from Him, but these are the created things that are not to be cherished and boasted of in view of that which is truly to be cherished and truly to be boasted about. What is truly to be cherished and boasted about? God's word here is clear. Let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who, and you heard it read twice, our boast, our rightful boast is in and about the Lord. Now let me step back and say I think boasting broadly considered is best understood as the voiced celebration of something or someone that we cherish. There is in boasting first an inward cherishing that leads to a celebration expressed in words, most commonly having something to do with ourselves. In our boasting, we necessarily disclose the condition of our heart and therein what it is that we desire others to see about us and although we not realize this, what is actually true of us. Boasting draws attention to ourselves and to what we cherish, tying them together. So what do you inwardly cherish that you celebrate by boasting? Or better this, what would those who know you the best report concerning the matter of your boastings? Do you, do I, avoid all manner of wrongful boastings and instead boast rightly? Self-absorbed, wrongful boastings are cringeworthy at best and actually often quite tragic evidence, frankly, of misplaced love and misplaced priorities. 
But true and rightful boasting concerning the Lord is the very stuff of worship itself, whether in the quietness of our individual souls or in the joined voices at Bible studies, fellowship groups, prayer times, family worship, or most vividly, corporate worship on the Lord's day. Once again, stepping back and considering broadly our time, our day, our age, our culture, our world, boasting actually abounds for good or evil all around us and constantly so. For cherishings and celebrations of all sorts are always on the march. It is accurate to say, whether we like it or not, that we live in an age and at a time of I would say, symphonic boastings. And I'm not getting political in that, but I could. So again, our own boastings are always an accurate glimpse of our inward cherishings, always an accurate glimpse of the condition of our heart. And this as well, though maybe unexpectedly for some and not commonly appreciated, our boastings are always an unfailing revelation of our sense of belonging, our sense about to whom we belong. So to whom do you belong? For many people, that's a nonsensical question. They imagine that they belong, if you will, to themselves. But oh, dear friends, it is this very question of belonging upon which our lives in this age and our life in the age to come actually depend. And it is this very question of belonging that undergirds, directs, and explains the subject matter of our boastings. Whether those in the casual boasting that are within expected social graces, that is casual and shallow boastings about which I'll say more, or the deeply consequential boastings of life itself that are far, far beyond casual boastings. It is those far, far deeper boastings that are the target of our scripture this morning. Now as to casual boasting, you boast of the Cavaliers, I boast of the Longhorns. You boast of your families, I boast of mine. It's not these casual boasting or it's not these casual boastings normally happily exchanged and received in common social graces that are the target of God's word. So do please tell me, tell me of your cute, magnificent and accomplished children and grandchildren and I might reciprocate or may I may have already beaten you to it. However, at a deeply serious level, we must acknowledge the significance of our, of our boastings and that the very core of our personhood, in that very core, we all face the foundational issue, to whom do we belong? To our, ourselves, to no one, or to our creator and redeemer? Are we our own, no one's, or are we the Lord's? In our boasts, again, I say we unfailingly 
albeit unwittingly, reveal our judgment to whom we belong. And I say that is a gracious clue for us. It's a gracious clue that can direct us to a lovely and familiar expression to most of us that is a boast, but it's an expression typically not thought of as a boast, and I want to highlight that to you. It's a beautiful boast. It's familiar to most of us. It's a guide for most of us. I would submit to you that the answer to Heidelberg Catechism question number one contains and constitutes just such a rightful boast. If you're looking for a rightful boast about such as that urged by the Lord in Jeremiah 9, consider this from Heidelberg number one as a boast. I am not my own, but belong body and soul and life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. What a boast. What a rightful boast. What a true boast. Now, of course, most of us come across this because we know that this answer is likewise directing us to the only comfort that we have. But the only comfort that we have is that which we can and should boast joyfully about. This boast can be made by one who understands and knows the Lord, who cherishes the Lord and the provision that he has given us in Christ, in the immediate and in eternity. And so, friends, I ask myself, and I ask you, is, 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 is this our boast? Is this our boast? In about 2010, so what's that? I don't even know how, where, where are we? Is that 13, 14 years ago? When I was a late-in-life seminary student and an aspiring refugee from the law practice, a call came to me in Texas from, of all places, Charlottesville, Virginia. It was from a high-performing law student whose words told of him sensing a call to pursue seminary studies and pastoral ministry. This law student was expressing a profound spiritual awareness that evidenced that he, as was just spoken of, was wholeheartedly willing and ready to pursue that path, a path that he would start in a few short years upon leaving a quite active law practice. On that other end of the call in 2010, 
I silently panicked. Temporarily absorbed shamefully in the immediate sense that the material comforts and professional successes certain to be had by this law student once an attorney would be exchanged for the simple hardships of ministry. And yet I came to my senses theologically and parentally and that panic slowly but unmistakably turned to joy and reaches new heights even this morning. With immense joy, I report, and it won't be a surprise to you that your new senior pastor has hold of and is sustained by the true and rightful boast that we've just considered. He's been so sustained for years and years and years, longer than the old fella probably talking to you. Well, maybe not. And I pray it will sustain his ministry not only from this pulpit, but also outside the pulpit, as he is among you and with you as a shepherd. So in shared laughter and shared lament, in the face of challenging hardships and constant blessings, in the ongoing daily lives of families, vocations, and community here in Trinity and in Charlottesville, I pray this boast in the Lord and this belonging to the Lord will sustain him and you all your days. So, although there'll be a charge later, I've got the mic right now. <laughs> Christopher, preach with the depth that has drawn these people to you and make application to their lives. Preach, if you will, about gushers in your sermons without hesitation. I had never heard of a gusher. <laughs> Those of you that were here a few months ago know what I'm talking about. But metaphorically, Christopher, distribute those gushers tenderly and widely as a shepherd in all your moments of counsel and prayer with these dear people, in all your moments of leadership with these dear people, and even with the occasional grumpy ones among these people. And Trinity, anticipate these gushers, receive them, and be refreshed in the Lord. Let me close, or try to close, not with a soaring illustration from literature or history, but by reference to the 1995 movie, Father of the Bride, Part Two. I could and would tell this story about each of our three children, but today it is joy joyously about Christopher and his family. Many of you may recall that George Banks, played by Steve Martin, finds himself near the end of the movie in a hospital hallway as his married daughter, Annie, that's Father of the Bride, part one, is in labor with the Banks' first grandchild. 
Nina Banks, George's wife, played by Diane Keaton, is herself stunningly about 40 weeks pregnant. As they await Annie's delivery, Nina is suddenly struck by labor pains of her own and is swiftly rushed across the hall from Annie into another labor room. Oh dear, poor George then learns that the lady's OB-GYN is not at the hospital, having been called away on a family emergency. And so the delivering doctor, seemingly fresh out of medical school, was to deliver these babies. George was overcome by these most weighty developments. And then this scene occurs that I'm going to try to describe, which is for me, listen, similar to my own very moment with you all right now. As you'll discover, I'll be George and you'll be the doctor. Now back to the scene. Dr. Eisenberg and George suddenly meet for the first time in the hospital hallway. She says cheerfully, confidently, and professionally to George, Mr. Banks, your daughter and your wife are both doing well. Your grandchild might be born before your own child. The camera pans to George, who with deep emotion says this softly and earnestly, Dr. These women are my life. To which the doctor lovingly replies, I know. And then she turns away to do what she's been called to do, safely deliver two babies, and she does. So now, with that scene in mind, Trinity, hear me saying this to you regarding Christopher, Kristen, Margaret, Henry, Beth, and John. These six are my life. And I hope I am seeing in your eyes right now you saying back to me, we know. And so I pray that you will now, like that doctor, Turn to what's next for you. Living and worshiping and serving as a congregation and as families and as individuals who grasp and who make the true boast. The boast in our triune God whom you understand and know. Who delights in practicing steadfast love, justice and righteousness in all the earth. For it is to this God to whom you belong through union by faith with our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty Father, I I detect a sense that these, hearing these words have spoken back to me, we know. I detect a sense that the boast that we've detailed is a boast deeply familiar to most and and regularly made gloriously by most. And so, as Christopher comes as the new senior pastor here, may this boasting soar all the more 
May the consequences of this boasting accomplish your purposes in their lives, in the lives of those in this community that know nothing of the Lord, and ultimately in the lives of all that you seek to touch and care for and affirm, protect, and save near and far through this dear congregation. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.